brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, achy joints, weight gain. Maybe you're thinking they're all just part of getting older, or that's what your doctor tells you. But Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all be connected. Hormonal changes that happen during perimenopause and menopause are at the root of dozens of symptoms women experience, not just hot flashes. Midi specializes in compassionate care for women in menopause. Their solutions are safe, effective, and FDA approved. Plus, they're covered by insurance. A convenient telehealth visit with a MIDI clinician can be your first step to getting personalized care. They'll tailor a treatment plan for your symptoms and health history so you can get back to feeling great. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. When your body changes, your care should too. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Hey, Wendy, what you listening to? Oh, hey, Beth, I've just become obsessed with true crime. But I am wondering, you know, you being the OG of true crime and everything, if there are any true crime stories out there about people of color or minorities. There are. I'm obsessed with true crime, too. And it's true. Not all serial killers are white dudes. Get out of here. <laughs> really? <laughs> That's right. Not all serial killers are white. Or, get this, even dudes. Stop. And you know what? Fruit Loose Serial Killers of Color is a podcast all about them. That's right. We take deep dives into the lives and crimes of people of color and their victims that the news leaves out because, well, the news is racist. Allegedly. Ever heard of Swift Runner? The Dating Game Killer? The Taco Bell Strangler? Or La Matavejitas? Well, if you want to hear about them and other true crime stories about people of color, women, LGBTQ, and any other minorities, then listen and subscribe to Fruit Loop Serial Killers of Color wherever you get your podcasts. And we are Wendy and Beth. She's Wendy. I'm Beth. We're not journalists, investigators, or psychologists. Just a couple of gals interested in true crime. Mm-hmm. New episodes drop every Thursday. So look alive, guys. It's crazy out there. I've got a question for you. Have you ever been in a car accident? Chances are, you might have been in a fender bender once in your life, but the chances are much more significant if you're older, and I will make note that the automobile safety has greatly increased over the years. The first implementation of automobile safety measures was when the National Traffic and Motor Vehicle Safety Act of 1966 mandated that all cars comply with certain safety standards. This was first brought around almost a decade after the two-point seatbelt was invented. Now today, we have things such as front deploying and curtain airbags for most of, if not all, passengers anti-lock brakes, and electronic stability control. 
All of these things have been introduced to save lives, but there's one thing that you can't prevent from, and that is human error. We are all human, and we all make mistakes. That's one thing that we can never fully predict. Whether you're driving down a dark road and you see a deer but swerve to miss it and end up in the ditch, or if you're listening to this podcast in your car, and what if I decided to put 45 seconds of the most ear-piercing noise you've ever heard, and you were to reach for your phone to skip forward through the noise, would you be okay? Could you take your eyes off the road for that long? Have you checked your rearview mirror lately? Have you checked your side mirrors? Do you have somebody in your blind spot right now? Is there enough space between you and the car that's in front of you? These are all factors that we take for granted, or we don't think about until, honestly, it's too late. I've been in four accidents in my 32 years, and I've had my license since I was 16 years old, so I've been driving for half of my life. And my accidents first started with my first fender bender when I accidentally backed into a 92 Oldsmobile, all the way up until 2016 with my last accident when I was on my way to a job interview and my Ford had actually fishtailed due to the low tread on my back tires. So my car spun out on the highway, I racked it into the embankment wires, and I totaled my 2000 Ford Taurus. There's two things that people usually experience when they're in a car accident. While researching this case, I saw that people have stated that either it happened so fast that they couldn't react in time, or it was almost like time slowed down and they felt like they were living in a little bit of an experience of slow motion. In the accidents that I've had, I've personally felt the slow motion and adrenaline rush feeling. Although it took mere seconds for my car to fishtail, feel my tires lose the traction, and I watched my car make a one and a half full rotation, I still remember looking through my windows to make sure that there were no cars that my car was about to travel into their path and collide with. When everything was said and done, my lack of money to pay for new tires luckily only cost me my pride and my car. No others were hurt in the accident, and for that, I'm thankful. However, that's not always the case when it comes to accidents. According to the Association for Safe International Road Travel, in the United States alone, the rough estimate is that over 37,000 people die in car crashes each year, and among them, 1,600 children aged 15 years old or younger are killed. That's even after the safety precautions that are in place in modern vehicles. It's said that an additional 2.35 million people are either injured or disabled from accidents. The factors included in that are the obvious ones like losing control or an object in the road, but some are also caused by someone driving under the influence of alcohol or other drugs. Now the US spends roughly 230.6 billion dollars per year on emergency services, road cleanups, and other costs associated with car accidents. A new development in automobile technology also includes the fact that cars are now being made to be autonomous. 
Everyone knows about the Tesla brand cars and their Tesla autopilot features. There is something to be said about autonomous driving cars though. The driver should always be fully aware of their surroundings at all times due to the technology not being 100% failure proof and human error. Since 2016 there have been 4 fatalities that included the Tesla Model S, Model X, and Model 3 vehicles in which the driver was killed from an accident while the car was on autopilot mode. That doesn't seem like too many people, but I'm also a firm believer in one person killed is one too many. Maybe technology will get better over time, but can we really trust that there is a 100% foolproof method of making the car drive automatically and there being no risk to the drivers of other cars, pedestrians, or even to the driver themselves? Technology has always had issues of its own and it most likely always will. Other factors that need to be taken into consideration is weather. In Ohio, we have summers that can rival the flames of hell and winters that can make the Arctic look like a fucking Jamaican paradise. But during the spring and summer, there's one thing that can cast a doubt on your own driving skills. Fog. Sure. There's a safety feature built into cars that can help you see better by dropping the lights to the lower front bumper of the car, otherwise known as fog lamps, but still, that doesn't make it 100% safe. And back in 1990, fog lamps weren't exactly common. You might ask yourself, why did you say back in 1990? Well, this short story I'm about to tell you was inspired by curiosity. Back when myself and the original host of Murder and Such, Brittany, were headed down together to Atlanta a few times via Interstate 75, we got through Bradley County, Tennessee near Calhoun and there was a large strip of highway that had something about the presence of fog in the area and it did have lights on top of the signs that would illuminate if there was a massive fog presence. And I've always wondered to myself, I've always seen signs about the possibility of ice on bridges falling rocks, and possible Bigfoot sightings on the road. But fog? That's a new one. So I decided to do a deep dive into this case, and I believe that this follows more of the and such category. So as always, I thank you for being here. I am your host Hunter, and this is Murder and Such. And this is Extrasode 2, The Worst Crash in Tennessee History. Without question, the worst traffic accident in the history of Tennessee. That's how a safety official described a multi-vehicle pileup along a more than one-mile stretch of a Tennessee highway. More than 50 injuries are reported. Night became day on I-75 tonight as rescue lights flooded the scene. Crews worked feverishly to clear the debris left from this morning's hour of death. The last body found was shortly before 6 o'clock tonight, but searchers have still been combing the wreckage looking for any human signs. When I first arrived on the scene, I was at the top of the bridge up on the interstate. I couldn't see anything. However, I could hear them crashing below me and hear the people screaming. In the chaos, a temporary morgue was set up. Troopers were still searching cars for bodies at mid-afternoon. 
Well, today we also heard stories about the heroes in the accident. The survivors from the crash are amazed that more people weren't killed. And we can thank several rescuers for that. It's a tremendous team effort. I've never, it was almost like it had been practiced. I've never seen anything quite like that. So officials here say crisis counseling will be made available to these men within the next 24 hours to help them deal with the emotional stress of the I-75 tragedy. Now officials at Bradley Memorial say the response from doctors was tremendous. Most reported for duty without being called. They say there were only two patients for every doctor in the emergency room. I'm going to start this one off with a quote from former Bradley County Deputy Bill Dyer reads, quote, Those drivers weren't expecting their lives to change. I wasn't expecting my life to change. The fog puts us in a circumstance where all of our lives changed. This particular strip of highway has a very checkered past. This particular strip was placed in a valley between Knoxville and Chattanooga. Considering it was constructed in a valley, it was more prone to fog. However, on the morning of December 11th of 1990, there was fog so thick that Deputy Bill Dyer said that you could move it with your hand. Visibility was literally at zero, and that made for a deadly combination. According to the National Traffic Safety Board investigation on the accident, it said that around 5.30 a.m. on that morning, a Tennessee Highway Patrolman conducted a routine fog check on I-75 near the town of Calhoun, but found no fog. But later, at about 8.15 a.m., a Tennessee Highway Patrol captain drove through the same area, and he found that there was a fog presence, but nothing that caused any issues with visibility or was really a cause for concern. But not even an hour later, the fog had converged on the area so fast and so thick that it would set off one of the largest chain reactions in modern-day history. This strip is no stranger to having pile-ups. According to the episode of Forensic Files Season 2, Episode 3, titled Killer Fog, four months after the strip of Interstate 75 opened up, there was an accident in which claimed the lives of three people, injured ten more, and the total pile-up was 17 cars. Just one month after the initial accident, there was another pileup, but fortunately, there were no lives lost in that accident, but nine people were injured in the entire ordeal. But then in November of 1978, there was another pileup on the same three-mile stretch that had 60 vehicles in the crash, in which six people had died from it, and nearly 100 more people were injured amongst the drivers and passengers. After the initial accidents back in the 70s, it was said that there was at least one accident per year along the same three-mile strip. But after they posted patrolmen along the area to keep a constant monitor for fog in the early morning hours, it seemed like the accidents had made a massive decline, and there hadn't been accidents in the area for years, until later in the morning on December 11th of 1990. 
From the investigation, it's said that around 9 a.m. the fog had gotten thicker by the minute. From the early report from the captain, I couldn't find how far he drove into the three-mile area, but motorists in both the north and southbound lanes had reported that the deeper they got into the stretch, the denser the fog had become, particularly as they approached the Lamontville State 163 overpass near Calhoun. The southbound drivers had reported there was dense fog at about one and a half miles north of mile marker 35. Most of those drivers had also stated that their sight distance had fallen sharply from 10 feet in front of them to mere inches. Now that brings us to about 9.10 a.m. on the morning, a truck driver who was hauling dicimal peroxide was traveling southbound at between 35 to 40 miles per hour when he had rear-ended a 1990 Freightliner that had slowed down to roughly 25 miles per hour at about 100 feet south of State Route 163 overpass. I will make a note that dicimal peroxide is a flammable organic peroxide used to inject into plastics to make them more fire retardant. No accidents reported at the time and both drivers were able to exit their vehicles with no injuries and inspect their trucks for damage. However, this was the first collision that would set the largest chain reaction in Tennessee history. Now I am going to walk you through this chain of events. But this is not an easy listen, so here is your first and only warning regarding this case. After the two trucks had collided and they came to a full stop in the fog, a 1991 Oldsmobile Delta 88 had struck the back end of a truck carrying dicimal peroxide at about 25 miles an hour. But before being able to exit their vehicle, the Oldsmobile was struck in the rear at a far greater speed, which crushed the Delta 88 in between the two semis, killing the driver and their passenger, then catching the front truck and the Oldsmobile and the rear truck on fire. Although dicimal peroxide is organic, when it burns it creates a thick, dense, black smoke. When you mix that with the fog presence in the area, you're already adding insult to injury at this point. But still, there's no chance in hell that anyone who's in the path of the fog is going to be able to see the bellow of smoke reaching forth towards the sky, because needless to say, when you're close enough to see the smoke, it's already too late. About five minutes after the first, second, and third impacts, a 1987 Ford Escort that was traveling northbound near State Route 163 was driving until it rear-ended a 1987 Honda Accord that was slowing down for the fog. Then behind that, a 1982 Toyota pickup truck rear-ended the Ford Escort, which was then hit by a 1990 Pontiac Coupe, and then another Oldsmobile Delta 88 found itself wedged in the rear end of the Pontiac. However, I am happy to report that the investigation stated that nobody was injured in that five-car collision, as well as no fires breaking out. But that wasn't the end of the collisions. Shortly after, there was another cluster of 27 more vehicles, all in the northbound lanes. 
At the same time as the escort hitting the Honda, a car that was equipped with a CB radio had called into dispatch to emergency services to report the incident of the 91 Oldsmobile being sandwiched between the two semi-trucks, and that there was a fire breaking out, and that the driver of their Oldsmobile and their passenger were gravely injured, and that unfortunately, the emergency services would not be able to rescue the driver and their passenger in time. After the call came in, the McMinn County and Bradley County Emergency Services had activated a disaster plan to bring in as many fire trucks and ambulances as they could. By the time they had shown up, there were cars lined up, mangled, destroyed, and sandwiched between other vehicles which were scattered across the north and southbound lanes and in the median itself. The county had never seen such an accident before since the highway had opened up in December of 1973. At around 9.30 a.m. is when the Tennessee Emergency Management Agency, or TEMA, had been notified of the multi-car pileups and had responded to coordinate federal, state, and local authorities. Two minutes later, the Tennessee Highway Patrol had activated their barriers and completely shut off the northbound lanes near mile marker 33. But two minutes later, the southbound lanes were also deactivated except to emergency medical services, coroners, and police cruisers. This was a highly concerted effort, and it's only about after 10.30 a.m. that the fog started to clear. What was left behind would be a sight that one could only imagine, and honestly, most people would only wish it was their imagination. Out of all the vehicles that were involved, 22 were semis, 22 were pickup trucks. There were three motorhomes, eight vans, and 42 passenger vehicles, bringing the grand total to 99 cars, trucks, and semis that were involved in the entire ordeal. Much like we discussed in the Beverly Hills Supper Club fire episode, there was a makeshift morgue set up to place the bodies to be carried away by emergency services. Of all the people, nine drivers and three passengers tragically lost their lives due to the road conditions. The assistant medical examiner from McMinn County determined that the victims died accidentally and established a probable cause of death through external examination only. Eight victims had died as a result of fire and its effects, three victims died from massive trauma, and one victim suffered a fractured neck. The injuries sustained by survivors ranged from minor bruises and abrasions to critical traumatic injuries. The injured were treated at hospitals in Athens, Cleveland, Chattanooga, and Knoxville, Tennessee. One of the state troopers who reported eye irritation was also treated at the hospital. Now, the driver of the Dysmal Peroxide truck voluntarily provided blood and urine specimens, which were tested at the National Psychopharmacology Laboratory Incorporated in Knoxville and the Community Hospital in Cleveland. No alcohol or impairing drugs were detected. For what was left of the road, much of the miles-long strip was covered with fuel and other various liquids plus debris, to the point where the highway had later separated lanes and shut them down to take care of some of the gouges that lay deep within the concrete surface, and the firefighters were sent to deploy a special absorbent compound to try to soak up any of the additional hazardous materials, 
but the highway that once took people to their homesteads, a throughway for their way to Florida, Georgia, Tennessee, and all across the east coast of the United States, had unfortunately turned into a makeshift morgue on that one fateful day. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere wear with daily bonuses that should brighten your day a little actually a lot so sign up now at chumbacasino.com that's chumbacasino.com no purchase necessary btw void were prohibited by law see terms and conditions 18 plus now i know it's been a minute since you heard the first montage that i played for you but i'm gonna play one clip for you one more time when I first arrived on the scene, I was at the top of the bridge up on the interstate. I couldn't see anything. However, I could hear them crashing below me and hear the people screaming. That is the voice of the person who first gave the quote in the beginning of the story. That is Brad Dyer of the Tennessee Highway Patrol, one of the most recognized for being one of the first police officials to respond to the area and the signs of the crash. Now, here is another quote from him. People couldn't see me until they were uh, 15, 20 feet in front of me. I thought once or twice I might get run over, but I knew I had to stop the traffic. But not everyone would listen. He pulled over into the emergency lane, but after he got over, he just looked at me like he he didn't understand what was going on. He got back into the lane of travel and proceeded on. I heard him crash below me. Can you possibly imagine what it's like for this guy to be trying to help people in such a crucial and dangerous time? The fact that he went fearlessly into this situation and still could have been hit or killed, but wanted to save lives? The fucking stones on this man must be the size of watermelon and harder than steel. I personally cannot even imagine what it's like to be him. But the response was the biggest thing to this whole situation. 36 different service types responded to the crashes, and from the montage that you heard, not only emergency service, but doctors were swift, maintained their composure, and took care of everyone who they could treat. That's the one thing to take away from this whole story, is the fact that we have these men and women who are fearless, strong-willed, and determined to help people in need with little to no hesitation at all. We take these services for granted most of the time, and we all know what it's like to be driving down the road and have to pull over to the side to let an ambulance, fire truck, or police officer take priority over our own transportation. But just remember that no matter what, they could be responding to a call of someone in need. So I would like to take this time to thank any and all officers, 
dispatchers, firefighters, EMT, and emergency personnel for the work that they do to save people's lives. In my personal opinion, all of the people who responded to the crash on I-75, they are heroes in my book. So, as I stated, the main reason for the accident was most definitely fog. That's what led the first semi-driver to be traveling at a safe 25 miles per hour to avoid hitting any other drivers, which unfortunately ended up with him getting hit by another semi-driver, then causing the chain reaction in both the north and southbound lanes. But, why on this fateful day was the fog so dense? What if I told you it was a paper mill. Sure, it sounds kind of odd, but yes, a paper mill. After 11 years with no serious accidents on the same strip that was known for being somewhat dangerous, how and why on this day did that streak come screeching to a halt? Now, fog is essentially a cloud that's on the ground. When there's too much moisture for the atmosphere to hold in the sky, the moisture will descend down towards the ground and essentially act like a stationary cloud. As the atmosphere warms up, usually from the sun rising, the cloud and moisture will evaporate, which will restore the visibility and normal driving conditions. In this valley, this is somewhat normal. Back when I lived in Phoenix, and on some days even here in Dayton, the early morning hours, you know, especially around bodies of water, I'll run into some fog every now and again, but I don't think there's ever been a time that I can remember that it turned this town or even the roadways into something reminiscent of Silent Hill. Nature in itself is, well, natural. Fog happens, and there's no doubt about it. But what was the one thing I mentioned earlier in this episode that we can never prevent again? Human error. Obviously, victims in the accident, whether slain or injured, wanted answers as to why there was such a thick fog in the area, and it's always been somewhat common considering where the accident had occurred was the deepest point in the valley and was adjacent to the Hiawassee River, which is prone to developing fog in the area. But on that day, the added human ingredient to the fog was from none other than the Bowwater Paper and Pulp Factory. Now, Bowwater Incorporated was established in 1984 by William Bowwater and was headquartered in Greenville, South Carolina. They produced newsprint, upcoated groundwood, wood products, lumber, and also offered recycling services. The first paper mill facility that they had opened up was on the site in Calhoun, Tennessee. Now, in 2013, after the company had been rebranded as the Resolute Forest Products, they had decided to finally close their Calhoun facility, as we all know that most newsprint companies are falling on strolling times due to the digital media consumption. However, in 1990, the Calhoun-based Bowwater plant was flourishing three miles east of Interstate 75, and Bowwater itself was the largest producer of newspaper at the time amongst the 12 other facilities scattered amongst the United States. The facility itself ran three shifts during a 24-hour period to keep up with the demand and would emit tons of water vapor into the atmosphere. Now, due to the current supply and demand, Bowwater was ramping up production even more so for a three-day period. 
Now, according to the NTSB report, the forecast was sunny and mild with a high in the mid 60s with a variable wind at about five miles per hour. It also stated that fog was not in the forecast and was not to occur in much of the area. It's also noted that the temperature was marked at about 28 degrees Fahrenheit at around 7 o'clock a.m. the morning of the 11th. Now, Bowater used four different wastewater treatment ponds to meet its National Pollution Discharge Elimination System permit requirements. These ponds were located all along the highway and used to clean wastewater from the paper mill. All four of them belonged to the Bowater Company. These ponds worked to cleanse the wastewater by using industrial fans and propulsion to essentially shoot water droplets up into the atmosphere where the wasteful part of the water would stay down on the surface for cleaning and removal. It's kind of an ingenious design, but from the Forensic Files episode, Dr. Alan Eschenroder had calculated that with the severe weather shift, Waste Pond 4 had added an additional 10 million gallons of water vapor into the atmosphere that day, leading up to the accident. Now this was to discharge air vapors into the atmosphere, but due to the temperature inversion where the ground is much colder than the air in the atmosphere, much of the water vapors came back down to the ground causing the thick and dense fog. Taking into account the temperature inversion when compiled with the thick water vapors is most likely what caused the dense, thick fog to migrate downward since the atmosphere was still too warm to hold all the water vapor. Now you can understand why it seemed like it took a mere minutes for all this fog to converge on the area and thus caused this massive accident. So, what happened with the Bowater Company? Today, the company no longer itself exists as Bowwater. A class action lawsuit was filed in the names of the victims considering with Alan Eschenroder Science backing the claims that they were responsible for this massive accident. Although Bowwater's legal team had disagreed with the calculations and science that were steering them in the face, but the class action lawsuit was set to commence in 1994. However, during some litigation, the state of Tennessee had decided to reach an out-of-court settlement on behalf of themselves and the Bowwater Company for an unstated amount, but Bowwater additionally had agreed to pay $11 million to the families and victims of the accident, hopefully giving some closure to the families and victims of this horrible tragedy. Since then, the state has also implemented many safety measures to make sure something like this never happens again. Also since then, there have been some minor accidents, but the safety measures in place to make sure that the fog will never be a factor again, including a $4 million safety system that can determine the density of the fog and trigger on-ramp closure blockades and alert drivers if there is dense fog in the area. However, that highway will never be the same again, and the crash of 1990 will go down as one of the deadliest crashes in American history. I want to thank you again for joining me for this episode. It's something I definitely wanted to cover, considering I've been on that same strip. I haven't seen the presence of fog, but I know how infamous that that fog can... You know, that's just the thing, is you never expect it. 
Nobody ever expected that to happen on that day back in 1990. And that's one thing to remember is things can happen in an instant with little to no notice. And if you are a driver, be sure to check your mirrors. Make sure there's enough room in front of the car ahead of you. Don't text and drive if I even have to fucking tell you that. It's just stop. Just stop. Don't even look at your phone. Anyways, I thank you for being with me for this episode. If you would like to follow us on our social media, you can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Murder and Such. And if you would like to follow me, you can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, and the PlayStation Network at Huntor27. Now, if you do think that my show is maybe worth a couple dollars or anything like that, you can make a one-time donation to our PayPal, which is murderandsuch at gmail.com, or if you'd like to contribute to the Patreon, it is patreon.com backslash murderandsuch, and our only tier that we have is $1 per episode or two episodes per month. But I'm going to get out of here, and as always, I will talk to you soon. Take care. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.